Welcome to the Foundations of Sports podcast, where we present positive sports stories and the lessons of character, hard work, and humility that develop a championship team on and off the field. I'm your host, Chris Horrigan, and thank you for joining us. With the NBA draft about to commence tonight, we have Pat Williams as our guest this week. Pat is one of the founders of the Orlando Magic basketball franchise and the author of over 100 books, including his most recent, Character Carved in Stone. Pat has been the general manager with NBA teams in Chicago, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Orlando. In the episode, he discusses how a visit to speak to the athletes at the United States Military Academy at West Point and a tour of the campus was his inspiration for his book, Character Carved in Stone. He also speaks about the timeless impact of Coach Mike Krzyzewski and Coach Maggie Dixon. Pat also discusses how baseball, and more specifically being a catcher, helped build his foundation for leadership. He tells us the interesting story of how the Orlando Magic expansion franchise was started and how their youth foundation are difference makers off the court. Pat also discusses Coach John Wooden, the impact and the importance of reading, and his battle with cancer. Pat, welcome to the Foundations of Sports podcast. Well, thank you, Chris. Good to be on with you. Hope all is well with you. Tell us about how an invitation to speak at West Point created the idea for your new book, Character Carved in Stone. Well, here's what happened, Chris. I was invited to go up to West Point and speak to the Army uh, men and women's sports teams, about 600 of them, and the coaches. And when I finished, uh, they gave me a tour of the campus at West Point. We ended up at a little park called Trophy Point that looks out over the Hudson River. And I noticed a bench there, um, uh, a, a stone bench, which wasn't unusual, but I kept looking and I kept counting and there were 12 of these benches. And that prompted me to take a closer look at one of the benches and I saw that there was a word carved into the stone on either end of the bench. And uh, then I checked all the benches, and there were 12 different words carved into the stone. Words like courage, discipline, integrity, loyalty, responsibility, trust, those kind of words. And then I thought, there has to be a backstory here. Well, there, there was. And what we discovered was that the West Point class of 1934 on their 50th anniversary in 1984, they donated those benches as a class gift. And these men who had been through World War II and the Korean War decided that these were the 12 words that they thought were most appropriate to pass on to future classes there at Army at West Point. My immediate reaction was, boy, this is a well-kept secret. I certainly didn't know about this. And talked to our publisher. I said, I think here's what we could do. We could write a chapter on each one of those words and then uh, find a West Point graduate who best modeled that particular word. And so that's what we did. And uh, we asked Mike Krzyzewski, the Duke coach, who was a West Point graduate, to do the foreword. And Mike readily agreed to do that. And so the book is out, Character Carved in Stone. And uh, we're, we're quite pleased with the early reaction. These virtues are timeless. And you spoke about how uh, many of these cadets were World War II and Korean War veterans. And these virtues that you speak about can be applied to any aspect. And you mentioned Coach Mike Krzyzewski. And one of the virtues you speak about in the book, responsibility. 
tell us a story about how Coach K learned this lesson while he was a cadet at West Point. He was there. He was a freshman, a plebe, and he was walking across the campus. It was a cold, yucky January day. He was heading to his next class. His roommate was with him. And uh, somebody, we never will know, I guess, maybe it was the roommate, stepped in a puddle of cook and splashed it on his beautifully shined shoes. Now, at that point, Coach K had a decision to make. Did he rush, rush back to his room and get these shoes fixed or uh, try and get to his next class and worry about it then? Well, at this point, he was stopped by an upperclassman who challenged him on these muddy shoes, and Coach K immediately said, well, I was walking across the campus when an upperclassman stepped, well, he was immediately interrupted by the upperclassman who said to young Mike, when you were spoken to by an officer, you respond in one of three ways. Yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse, sir. And, uh, <laughs> Mike Krzyzewski learned from that about responsibility. I mean, Mike, to this day, he's in his early 70s now, but he'll tell you that that particular afternoon on the West Point campus was a turning point in him becoming a leader. His his attitude is, this was done well, and I did it. This was done poorly, and I did it. But in either case, I am responsible. It's a big part of being a great leader, Chris. Great leaders do not point fingers. They don't blame others. Uh, they take full responsibility, and that's what Mike learned that day at West Point. One of the keys to leadership, like you said, is responsibility and taking ownership. It's something where you just can't push the responsibility off on someone else. You're a team, and you have to take ownership of whatever issue or something that needs to be taken action so things can be moved forward in a positive direction. So certainly Coach K uh, learned that lesson, as we all do in certain times in our life. And it's uh, truly, truly a great story about him and his time at West Point. You're absolutely right, and Coach K would confirm that. Coach Maggie Dixon, in her time at West Point, tell us from how she got the job at Army to how she rallied the cadets around her team. Tell us how she demonstrated determination at West Point. Maggie Dixon always wanted to be a coach, but she was an assistant coach at DePaul. The head job at West Point was open. Uh, she wanted to become a head coach. She pursued it. She kept, kept in front of the decision makers, and eventually, I guess she wore them down, and they hired her. She was very young, in her 20s. And they gave her the job. Now, women's basketball at West Point was far from a thriving sport. It was not doing well. But Maggie put some life into it, and she began to get her team moving, and they were making good progress. However, nobody was going to the games. So Maggie uh, began to rally the men on the campus at West Point about getting behind these ladies and, and filling that building, making some noise. Well, it happened. She got the men involved and turned that uh, gymnasium into a real, uh, you know, a real home court advantage. It was quite a story, and Maggie was really making a mark for herself. However, uh, she had a heart issue, and at 27, her heart gave out, and she passed away. Oh, it was a, a shocking development on that campus. Uh, she's still missed. They remember her well. Uh, we visited her 
grave site in the West Point Cemetery. And uh, that was that was very moving. You know, you'd see flowers there and toy basketballs and, you know, all remembering this wonderful young coach who came to West Point and made a difference primarily through her dogged determination. It's truly remarkable how her impact, again, we talked about timeless a little bit earlier in the interview. Her impact is timeless. And just your story in the book and what you're talking about, about her rallying the cadets and getting everyone out and behind the team and, uh, you know, the spirit of decor and just being part of a team concept is truly remarkable. Now, Pat, in sports, you, you've been in professional sports for a long time. Now, you played minor league baseball, and these leadership characteristics uh, are applied all over, but you were a catcher in baseball. Tell us about how playing that position helped you during your life on the court and also off the court. Chris, um, I, I played sports in high school. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, went to Tower Hill School. And as I look back, I, I played the leadership positions. I was a catcher in baseball, a quarterback in football, point guard in basketball. Then I went to Wake Forest and was the catcher on the baseball team at Wake for four years. Uh, the two years I was in the Phillies farm system, I was a catcher. Uh, leadership positions, I... I'm not sure that I was looking at it as that, but I, as I look back now, I was. I took leadership of those teams and, uh, you know, really took it seriously. And uh, I was becoming a young leader, even though I wasn't thinking it so much in those terms. Uh, I got into the front office end of baseball at 24. The Phillies sent me to Spartanburg, South Carolina to be the general manager of their farm club there. Well, that certainly was a position of leadership. Uh, then on into the NBA, I was uh, 28 years old when I jumped into the NBA and became general manager of teams in uh, Chicago and Atlanta, Philly. Um, I was not, in those days, there were not all these books on leadership, all the seminars, all the leadership retreats like there are today. But uh, I was getting the experience of being a leader. Well, once I got to Orlando, we came, moved here 33 years ago. There were many, many conventions and uh, conferences here, and I began to get speaking opportunities, and they were requesting talks on leadership. Well, I had been in leadership, but I really had not pinned it down well enough to to be able to talk to a group of businessmen. So that really started me on this quest to study leadership and examine it and try and pinpoint things that I could pass on to audiences. And, oh, I guess for the last 20 years or so, that's what I'm doing and continue to do in my writing and my speaking. That just playing that position, and I'm a catcher myself, helps you see the whole field. It gets you thinking five, six steps ahead of what needs to be done on the field, on the court, whatever sport or whatever endeavor that you are partaking in. And another virtue you talk about is perseverance. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and describe the story of how the Orlando Magic came into existence because that certainly represents the virtue of perseverance. 
Well, Chris, I had been the general manager of the 76ers in Philadelphia for 12 years, and including uh, four trips to the finals, and we finally won it in 1983. But I was beginning to get a little bit restless and uh, looking for a new challenge. Well, the ultimate challenge in this business is to start your own team up as an expansion team. So I was fortunate to meet some business leaders here in the Orlando area. They invited me to come down and head up the effort to try and convince the NBA office and the owner, other owners at uh, Orlando, Central Florida, would be a good spot uh, to put a team. Well, Orlando in 1986 was a far cry from what it is today. There was no real uh, skyline, no Universal Studios. The airport wasn't much, no big convention center. Uh, But we pushed hard, and we... uh, Kept trying to convince the community that we could do it, trying to convince the league we could do it. And in April of 1987, the NBA, in a rather dramatic move, they added four new expansion teams in one swoop. That's how Miami got into the league, and Charlotte, and Minnesota, and and of course Orlando. Uh, It was a big moment here. Orlando finally had uh, become a major league sports city. And uh, we are just completing our 30th season as an actual team. So I have learned a great deal uh, about uh, vision. Uh, I've learned a great deal about communicating that vision as a leader. I've learned a great deal about the importance of people skills. And I've learned a great deal about uh, the importance of a serving heart. Uh, a, A servant hearted mentality is so important in any endeavor, Chris, to really be an effective leader. So uh, I have uh, learned a great deal and made a lot of advancements since uh, my my move down here to Orlando. And you talk about servant-hearted leadership. One of the great things that your organization does is the Orlando Magic Youth Foundation. Tell us about how the 12 leadership characteristics in your book are reflected in the work of the Orlando Magic Youth Foundation. Well, from the time uh, I arrived here and we actually got the team, I I thought it was very important to uh, be more than just a basketball team in the city, that we wanted to be good neighbors. We wanted to be good contributors, you know, in the city. And so we started the Orlando Magic Youth Foundation. Uh, when uh, the DeVos family bought the team in 1991, uh, they took it to another level. They were extremely supportive and and very, very strong on this. And uh, so through the golf tournaments and banquets and different forms of fundraising, we have uh, contributed, I think, almost $20 million to Oregon. That's over maybe 18 years, something like that. We have contributed that kind of money to uh, organizations here in Central Florida uh, that are doing work with youth, with young people. And uh, these these financial gifts have made a huge difference in, in their work. And we will continue to do that. Uh, yes, we want to be a competitive team. Yes, we, we'd love to win an NBA championship. And uh, that's what we're striving for. But in the meantime, we want to uh, be uh, difference makers off the court as well. It's so important to be, like you said, a difference maker off the court. It just really reflects 
the character and leadership of not only the front office, but the players themselves. And you're affecting the youth in a positive way. And that really is what sports is all about. Over the years, Chris, our players and coaches have just been awesome in the work they have done, you know, out in the community. Um, almost every player we've ever had over these 30 years has been, had, had some sort of a cause or some sort of a charity that's special to them. And uh, they continue to do that, you know, even as, we're, as we speak. And um, we're, we're very proud of our players really getting into that kind of uh, a mindset to be difference makers in the community of Orlando and all of Central Florida. Makes you a better person. It makes you a better teammate by doing that and having that impact off the court. Now, on the court, NBA TV described your team this morning as gritty, as tough, as playing together. And those are all characteristics that are reflected in another timeless coach, Coach John Wooden. When I bring up that name, Pat, to you, what comes to mind? Uh, Winning. Winning the right way. Uh, class gentleman, strong in his faith, kind to people, very intelligent, special coach, special American, special in every way. His lessons are certainly applicable in anything that you do as a sports uh, executive, a coach, a player, or any business you're involved in? Well, I've written four books about him, Chris, over the years. I um, wanted to mine the very depths of this man, who I came to know late in his life. He was very kind to me and uh, let, let me into his life. And so whenever I was in the L.A. area, I would uh, go visit him at his condo in Encino, California, take him out to an early dinner at the, his favorite restaurant, the Valley Inn, or at uh, his favorite breakfast nook, uh, Vips, it was the name of it. Oh, he was remarkable. He was special. Uh, when you were with him, you, you better have a pen and a, a notepad with you because he was going to pass off some gems of wisdom. Uh, you didn't want to miss them. You wanted to make sure you, you got them written down right. Uh, that was John Wooden. Uh, There'll never be another one like him. And, and certainly uh, his accomplishments as the basketball coach at UCLA are, are all but untouchable. You know, 10 titles in 12 years, uh, seven in a row. I mean, just remarkable. 88-game winning streak. Uh, these these are things I, I doubt that anybody's going to touch. And those books that you've written and, and everything on Coach Wooden, it sums up if someone, if a coach or a player is looking for an answer to how to be a better teammate, be a better person, just become better at their sport or their endeavor, it's right in front of them when they look up Coach John Wooden. In the last decade of his life, uh, Coach Wooden did a lot of writing himself, and I'm so glad he lived. He lived till 99, and it was probably in the last, well, I guess maybe 12 or 14 years of his life that uh, he was convinced to start writing on different topics, and he did that. Those books are still in print, 
and uh, there's so much to take from him. The first book I wrote was simply called How to Be Like Coach. And uh, the second one was just simply Coach Wooden, The Seven Principles That Shaped His Life and Will Change Yours. Uh, The third one was Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret. And then the fourth one we did was simply called uh, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Uh, Those were the summer camps that he ran for so many years. Over the years, must have had thousands of youngsters come through there. That book came out last year. We had a good time putting that one together. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure the stories that aren't out there, like you said, the summer camps are really the gems, the diamonds in the rough, so to speak, of the stories that you uncover from the time and the players with Coach Wooden. Yes, I think that would be true. There, uh, you're, you're you're never going to capture all of the Coach Wooden stories out there. You know, with the thousands of people that he encountered in his lifetime, we did our best. But every one of those campers, those kids were there probably. Oh, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, up to 15, 16 years old. There were thousands of them over the years. That I'm sure they all have a Coach Wooden memory. We tried to get as many as we could to put it into that book, uh, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. But uh, there, there are going to be Coach Wooden stories out there for forever. And you talk about how Coach Wooden later on in his life took up writing. And a very wise person told me one day that the day you stop learning is the day you retire. Pat, tell us the importance of lifelong learning and how reading plays a role in continuing to improve. Well, I think uh, when you really study so many people of history, the common thread was, not with all of them, but with many of them, they were voracious readers. President Harry Truman would be a great example. He was one of our presidents, uh, I think the only one of this uh, this period over the last, oh, I don't know, what, uh, 80, 90 years who never went to college. But he was probably our best educated president because he was a voracious reader and had been from the time he was a small boy. He once said, not all readers will be leaders, but all leaders must be readers. So I encourage people no matter where they are in life, uh, to get excited about reading good books, uh, books that they're interested in. People ask me all the time, well, what should I read? And I, I simply say, well, what are you interested in? That's what you should be reading. And uh, well, when, when am I going to do this? I sit throughout the course of the day. Yeah, your goal is to read an hour a day. Well, you can grab 20 minutes in the morning over breakfast. And I bet you can grab 20 minutes, you know, over lunch. And I'll bet you you can grab another 20 minutes in the evening uh, per, before you go to bed. I bet you can do that. And uh, if you do it, uh, well, if my math is right, that's an hour. Now, if you keep that up for a week, you're going to finish a book. It won't be War and Peace, but you will finish a book that, that you are interested in. And uh, so I encourage people to uh, to really get excited about reading. And you've been the author of over 100 books, but there's one book that might be the most impactful, as they're all impactful. But in terms of your battle with cancer, tell us how that has made you stronger and how that has enabled you to help others. 
Well, over eight years ago, Chris, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. It's a, a one of the blood cancers. I'd never heard of it. I didn't had no idea what was going on with me. But an oncologist here, Dr. Robert Reynolds, sat me down and explained what was going on and that I did have this uh, form of cancer and uh, I had to face it and deal with it. So that's what I've been doing for over eight years now. Uh, fortunately, uh, the doctors are telling me now that they don't see any signs of it. Uh, that these different forms of, of chemo have been effective. I know that uh, God is still the great healer, and I also know that many, many people have been praying for me. And some a few years back, we, we I wrote a book called The Mission is Remission, in which I tell my, my cancer story uh, and, and wrote it primarily to, to uh, help others uh, who are dealing with multiple myeloma or any form of cancer, uh, what they should be looking for and what I learned and uh, what they can do, <clears throat> you know, to, um, to, to um, get through it. So that book is still in print and hardly a week goes by that somebody doesn't contact me, you know, either having read the book or wanting to find the book and uh, want, wanting to talk and, in many cases, they were like I was over eight years ago, uh, scared. You know, when you get that news, you've got cancer, you've got multiple myeloma, well, you're, it, it rocks you right to your very core. But I can see now that uh, God has allowed that in my life. I've become a spokesperson for the different blood cancers and certainly a counselor to many who are seeking uh, guidance and help and strength, you know, during their, their, their time with it. That's the definition of impact right there. We are certainly thinking of you, Pat, and everyone that's inflicted with cancer. Unfortunately, around the world, we all have been impacted by this. And you're the author of so many great books, but that book that you speak about certainly can be helpful to everyone. And you talk about one of the virtues in your book, courage, and you break it down to five parts of courage, physical courage, moral courage, emotional courage, intellectual courage, and spiritual courage. And that's each day as you battle cancer and everyone that battles it, you define those five types of courage. Well, I think it does take courage when you're diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's, it's very easy just to fold up your head and say, oh boy, you know, I'm just going to lie on the couch and, uh, and, and not do anything about this. But um, when, when I was diagnosed, my immediate reaction was to the doctor was, uh, what are we going to do to fight this? You know, tell me what's, what's the next step. And uh, he told me the next step was to start the chemo treatments. I said, well, let's get moving. I said, because I, and, and then I said, well, what about my life? He said, just go live your life as you normally would. He said, we'll take care of the cancer battle. You, you go out and help run this basketball team and give your speeches and write your books and take care of your family, and, and we'll, uh, we'll deal with the cancer for you. That's, what we, that's why we're here. Well, that was good news to me because I didn't want at age 70 just to fold my tent and, and give, give up on life. 
I still had a lot of things I wanted to do. Still had a lot of dreams, a lot of goals, a lot of ambitions. And uh, so the Lord for, oh, I don't know, almost a decade now has really covered me with his, with his love and his grace. And here I sit as I'm approaching my 79th birthday, uh, still able to live a full life and do everything that I would normally be doing. And I'm certainly grateful for that. It's obvious that God has more for me to do, more books to write, and more lives to impact, and I'm ready to do it. That's what sports is all about right there, Pat. And you've come in contact with so many people in your time in baseball, in basketball. But let's say you had three tickets to an upcoming Army-Navy game up at West Point, baseball game coming up. Who are three mentors in your life who represent the virtues in your book that you would bring to that game and why? Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, why don't we bring Coach K up there? That would be great. Um, I'd probably want to bring Ernie Acorsi along, the longtime NFL general manager who has an absolute love affair with, uh, with West Point and that campus up there. We'd want him there. Oh, and we'd want a good baseball person, wouldn't we? Well, I'll tell you what, John Wooden loved baseball. Probably loved it more than basketball. <laughs> so let's bring him along. So we'll have Ernie, we'll have uh, Coach K, and we'll have John Wooden sitting there enjoying the ball game on a beautiful, beautiful, uh, pleasant April afternoon at, at West Point watching Army play, oh, I don't know, Rutgers. Sounds good. In, in, in a baseball game, college baseball. And the, and the, and the baseball field right, is, is right smack in the middle of the campus. You know, beautiful setting. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea, Chris. Sounds good to me. It really is uh, a breathtaking campus. And very, as you obviously write with the 12 virtues and the 12 benches, an impactful campus. But to anyone, to any listeners who haven't been there, what can you say about visiting West Point? Well, Chris, the good news is you can take tours. You know, every time I've been there, there are buses that have come up from New York City or other places filled with visitors who are touring. their guides that, that take you all around the campus and point out what happened here and what went on here. And here's where Douglas MacArthur's mother stayed when he was a student and on and on it goes. So you can have a marvelous trip and a, and a great tour of the campus. Uh, I recommend it. Now, now, Chris, I'd never have been to Annapolis to tour the United States Naval Academy. Um, but I'm sure that's very moving. But I will tell you this, from the time you enter that campus, come through the gates, and everywhere you turn, everywhere, there are signs. It simply says, beat Navy. <laughs> Everywhere, beat Navy. Uh, they, they absolutely live compelled by the passion and the need and the desire to beat Navy. It's a unique rivalry, that's for sure. As we finish up, Pat, we call this the, the last two minutes of the fourth quarter here of a Magic game got a couple of questions for you. The first is, how could sports play a positive role 
in the future? Oh, I think, uh, Chris, it's important to get our young men and women, youngsters, from an early age involved in some form of athletics. Um, you know, the, you, can, you can get them started as young as three or four in, in, in certain areas. But youngsters learn, and I don't know how else you can teach them about respect, getting along with team members, responding to coaching, discipline, hard work, uh, dealing with setbacks, uh, the joy of, uh, of winning, hanging in there when you've lost. I mean, so many lessons come out of the world of sports that cannot be taught any other, in any other fashion. So uh, I encourage parents, grandparents, get those kids involved. Get them out of the house. Get them away from the TV set and the video games. Don't get me started on that, Chris. And, <laughs> and get them involved in, 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 in some sport program year-round. You know, you can play baseball in the spring, soccer in the fall. Down here in Florida, they've got soccer year-round. They play baseball fall and spring. Uh, so many uh, different things you can do. And the equipment they have now, Chris, the facilities all over the country, everywhere, it's marvelous. Listen, when I was growing up in the 40s and the 50s, there was no youth baseball. There was no anything. I didn't play my first organized baseball game. It, it, it was at school when I was in the seventh grade. One of my grandsons, Max, he's 11 now, he has played more baseball games than I did all the way through uh, my professional career. Something like that. He, he must have played 300 games already. Uh, of course, down here in Florida, it helps. But, but uh, the opportunities, if you, love to, if you love to do it, are just enormous. And you never know what's going to hit with kids. You never know what's going to, what's going to happen. So get them started. Get them, get them going. Pat, if you could pick one sports event or game that you would like to attend in any location that you haven't been to so far, who is playing and who are you sharing some hamburgers and hot dogs and a tailgate with before the game? The, well, I'll tell you what it is, Chris. It's the, uh, the final game of, of a seven-game NBA Finals. Uh, the Orlando Magic are playing the Golden State Warriors in Game 7. And in a double overtime thriller, the Magic prevail. That's probably the game I would most like to attend. Yeah, that sounds good. What would you like to leave our audience with today? Well, I'd like to encourage them, Chris, to go, uh, to, go to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million in the business section. Ask for the book character carved in stone uh, Ravel is the publisher or uh, go up to Amazon and uh, and simply order the book you get a couple of them pass them on I guarantee you that book will make a difference in your life I think that's my last word Chris where can we find more information on you your books and your speaking well go up to Amazon and all the books I've written are posted up there you can get a pretty good sense of that uh, patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. 
My email address is pwilliams at orlandomagic.com. And uh, check it all out. I think there'll be some interesting things there for you. You have a quote on pages 92 and 93 of your new book that says the following. We maintain our dignity by good conduct and good manners, by remaining calm and poised under pressure, by being thoughtful instead of emotional, by maintaining self-control, especially when others are losing control, by accepting setbacks and disappointments with grace, by demonstrating excellence in everything we do and say, and by respecting others. Pat, you live these words of this quote, along with the 12 virtues of character carved in stone each day in what you do. Stay strong, and thank you for your time today. Chris, a million thanks. Wonderful to visit with you. Take care of yourself. It is reflective of the person that Pat Williams is, that he took the time to learn about the 12 benches at Trophy Point, and how he took those lessons and the 12 characteristics to write a very insightful book, and the carryover to the lessons learned in sports that he talks about in the episode, and how sports can play a positive role in the future. We thank Pat for taking the time to come on the show. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, we ask if you could leave a review on iTunes and pass the link of this episode to someone that you think might be interested in the show, a family member, a friend, or a teammate. We greatly appreciate it. For more information on us, please visit us at foundationsofsports.com, Instagram, Foundations of Sports, Twitter, Foundation Sport. We will see you next week. And as always, best to you and your families. Thank you.